Oh, that's that's very post-apocalyptic sound in there, Katie. Well, I mean, do you have a better way to describe how everything like feels right now? Oh, someone's all upset that their new Call of Duty patch is too big to fit <laughs> on their Xbox. But, like, I was like so excited, and now I'm like back playing GTA. Like I'm like some huge loser or something. Like I wonder if like GTA could be responsible for like some of your aggression right now. Yeah, there probably is like limited value in playing a video game set in like one discrete area while you're on quarantine, man. Like how often can you drive around the same like what two cities like, you'd be surprised man. would i though <laughs> is is the thing like yeah okay like, like you're probably not <laughs> <laughs> but yeah moving away from katie's imminent <clears throat> mental collapse like you could like maybe you like do something more constructive katie like you know like something meditative you know like like crafting maybe <laughs> 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 you are seriously like so adorable you like actually make my tea torch what like you know those light bulb candles I have like in my room the ones you have like hanging up with like the string and stuff yeah well I will have you know that I made them with my own two hands fuck off Holy <laughs> man <laughs> she should fuck off did you really make them Sasha? I did yeah I mean I'm genuinely dangerous with a glue gun you know honestly like licensed to glue <laughs> 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 we're like yeah what's, what's like the last thing you made well I made like a pencil holder out of like tins you know like tins of beans and stuff mm-hmm. obviously empty ones <laughs> but like yeah I spray painted them rose gold you know because you know I do I really I really really do oh my god man seriously like. but no Katie seriously you should like take it up there's like tons of stuff online like it's a lot more constructive than like you know shooting hookers or whatever it is you do more constructive than shooting hookers in the head though that that is an excellent point to be fair Sersh like is it, is it just driving around in circles like picking up hookers and then shooting them in the head like is that all the game is because like genuinely that's all anybody ever says about it like it sounds like the stupidest thing in the world like ever there's like a bit more to it there are like missions and stuff but like yeah it's basically just banging hookers and then shooting them in the head y- yes yes in the head that is a key part of the storytelling you guys don't be dicks like but like to be fair I don't know that we have a choice you know okay we we are who we are my friend <laughs> but like no like seriously like it's a rich storyline like filled with humanity like I just caught my wife cheating on me with her tennis coach so what did you do well I mean like share with the group Katie <sighs> He followed him home and destroyed his house in a fit of rage. And how did you destroy his house in said fit of rage? He dragged one of the rich person American house support beam things out from under it with my truck and and then it fell down a hill. Jesus, Katie. But like, what well, I don't get is like, would that not be beneficial for all your like rage? One would think, yeah, but like, no, it <laughs> seems like, quite, quite the opposite. Yeah, maybe we buy you a glue gun. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, speaking of glue guns, glitter and uh, confetti, Chloe, you have the next three minutes to wax lyrical about BTS. Get get it get it all out of your system. Come on, let's do this. <gasps> okay, okay. Well like I mean, like Katie absolutely should take up craft and seeing as how we're both gonna be customizing our matching <laughs> army bombs before we go see them when they can oh. tour again. Am I right, Katie? Oh, <laughs> no, you know what? I'm I'm just not I'm just not engaging with this. So maybe maybe we should explain for folks listening in that uh, didn't see all of Chloe's posts about this at the weekend. But like it was it was BTS's seventh anniversary since their like debut uh, last weekend. I was just so emotional, oh my god! 
<laughs> because they can't tour because of the pandemic and everything, they uh, they live streamed a concert which our very own Chloe Cullen mm. attended. Yes, yes, Sarah, that is correct. And not only did I attend, but I also found out that it was possible to have like two separate devices set up to stream the concert. So got on to Katie's sister, Terry. Uh, and exactly when did you get Terry's number, by the way? Uh, I follow her on Insta. I'll have you now. And then we started, you know, what's happening after that? Like, it's not a big deal. Whatever. Like, we're just best friends. Chill out. But like, yeah, we thought it might be interesting for Terry to like, I don't know, like jump on Katie's bed first thing Sunday morning streaming the concert, then follow her around for the next hour and a half with an iPad until she, uh, yeah, sat down and watched. Like, I was genuinely terrified. Like, she jumped on actual top of me with the volume way up and like, she was doing some like shouty song with like this loud saxophone situation going. It was terrifying. Yeah. They opened with Chada. I mean, I, I don't see what your point is. My point is that it was a very invasive, very strange experience. Don't you lie to me, Katie Morphy. You are betting to Minchuka. Come on. Like. We saw the messages, Katie. Terry was like making me watch it. There was nothing I could do. Like, I had to engage. You said you could see into your soul, man. I was severely sleep deprived and he has very nice hands. Oh my God, I can't believe Katie's going to be my fan mate. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, I cried a little bit. A jamais vu. Uh, respect oh, yeah. was life affirming. That was cool. In fairness, yeah. A voice in my head said, "No, sugar, you can, you can break dance." Oh my god, you love him! <laughs> Why are you setting yourself up for this? I don't. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but yes. Well, well, Katie continues to like dig this hole for herself. Yeah, I might like just mute myself for a second. I'm forever. <laughs> anything else that we're missing before we get stuck into the book for this week? Uh, Clee, any, anything Anything you want to add, man? No, no, there's, uh, there's no way I'm going to follow that. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, okay. So, uh, yeah, okay, let's get, let's get cracking then. Um, so now, uh, this episode, we're, we're looking at our second unusual heroine of our unusual heroine series. Uh, this time around, it's going to be Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. Okay, 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 all right, all right. So we'd we'd all heard of this one. Yeah, and and I'd read it. That's right, yeah. Didn't you read it when you were like five or something? <laughs> I was eleven, Chloe. Uh, same difference. I couldn't like spell my own face when I was eleven. Which is different from now because uh, Oh you're off mute now, are you? Oh yes, yes I am. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, um, Okay, you too. Um, this was one you'd mentioned when we brought this up to begin with, Serge, right? Well, yeah, yeah. I was interested in us sort of keeping a link with the last series, but then at the same time, like making sure that we were looking at like the unusual heroine side of things because Kleena is so right. Like that's such a rich like thing for us to be looking at. So I thought, yeah, that like Jane Eyre would be super, super interesting. I remember reading the book when I was younger and like thinking that Jane was like the first heroine I had come across that was like super, super passionate and like adventurous stuff but like super flawed as well like to the point of being almost dislikable some of the time like and she's not like physically attractive I remember that being like a big deal like that was the first for me everyone that I had like read about up until then was like oh this forgotten beauty or like was super striking in her own way and like Jane is just like this this normal girl yeah yeah I thought that was pretty cool like she she's not an ogre or nothing like oh my god are you for actual real what She's not like like I know, but like it's it's the whole point is that she's like not about that like good looking girl life like 
That's the point, man. Uh, I beg to actually differ, Miss Murphy, if you will just, like, stall your actual ball for a second. Like, she's all painting pictures of, like, good-looking girls so hmm. that she knows where she is on an actual 1 to 10 scale because they, like, didn't have no, like, Daily Mail online back then, so they had to just, like, eyeball it and, like, draw it with, like, crayons and shit. Like, if that's not being about that good-looking life... I don't know what is, okay? She was, like, just being self-effacing, man. If that's not being about that good-looking life, I don't know what is, Katie. (laughs) So maybe if we take a second away from whether Jane Eyre was was about that good-looking life. Because she absolutely was, okay? (laughs) Talk for a minute about, like, the actual author and the book itself for, like, uh, a second. All right, okay, yeah. But once we get down to Jane being a six that wants to be a nine, like, I'm there for that, okay? <sighs> like, do you have, like, any idea how offensive that is? Do you have any idea how offensive your face Charlotte is? Bronte, <laughs> Charlotte Bronte, 21st of April 1816 to 31st of March 1855, was an English novelist, yes, this is what we're now talking about, and poet, the eldest of the three Bronte sisters who survived into adulthood and whose novels became classics of English literature. She enlisted in school at Roe Head in January 1831, aged 14 years. She left the year after to teach her sisters Emily and Anne at home, returning in 1835 as a governess. In 1839, she undertook the role as governess for the Sidgwick family, but left after a few months to return to Hayworth where her sisters opened a school, but failed to attract pupils. Instead, they turned to writing and they each first published in 1846 under the pseudonyms of Kerr, Ellis and Acton Bell. While her first novel, The Professor, was rejected by publishers, her second novel, Jane Eyre, was published in 1847. The sisters admitted to their Bell pseudonyms in 1848 and by the following year were celebrated in London literary circles. Bronte was the last to die of all her siblings. She became pregnant shortly after her marriage in June 1854 but died on 31st of March 1855, almost certainly from hyperemesis gravidarium, a complication of pregnancy which causes excessive nausea and vomiting. Oh my god. Yeah, it's it's pretty grim. But like, isn't the whole morning sickness thing like super common? Like, I didn't think you could like die from it or anything. No, no, hyperemesis is like, like it's not being able to keep any food down at all over like way longer than you'd usually have like morning sickness. Like, so people don't like keep enough food in their system to like feed the baby and they can have like severe dehydration and stuff if it's not treated. It's, yeah, it's bad news, man. Shit. Yeah, it's pretty cool that we're alive like now when there's like Google and penicillin and like Pinterest posts on how to make your own masks. <gasps> oh my God. Seriously. If you get me BTS fabric, I'll make you a BTS mask. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> why, why would you? <laughs> oh man. But yes, Jane Eyre. Um, so <laughs> Charlotte Bronte's most beloved novel describes the passionate love between the courageous orphan Jane Eyre and the brilliant, brooding and domineering Rochester. The loneliness and cruelty of Jane's childhood strengthens her natural independence and spirit, which prove invaluable when she takes a position as a governess at Thornfield Hall. But after she falls in love with her sardonic employer, her discovery of his terrible secret forces her to make a heart-wrenching choice. Ever since its publication in 1847, Jane Eyre has enthralled every kind of reader, from the most critical and cultivated to the youngest and most unabashedly romantic. It lives as one of the great triumphs of storytelling and as a moving and unforgettable portrayal of a woman's quest for self-respect. See, it's normal for an 11-year-old to enjoy Jane Eyre. It's... Like it's it's really not, man. <laughs> we've got a we've got a ton of plot to to get through with this one, though. Yeah, for someone that doesn't like go very far or do very much, like Jen manages to get a lot of like experience under her belt by like nineteen. Oh my god! Like I just realised she's like only a year older than us. 
are you are you actually serious <laughs> well like it's just like with the way she goes on and on like all the Mr. Rochester stuff and all like shit man could you imagine like having like all that and like, like yeah like being that into someone like when you're only like 19 like air age like even if it was you know John Jungkook Chloe Okay, like, I'm not even going to lie. I got, like, proper tingly there. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, come on. I mean, Clara, come on. Like, you like girls. How would this even make sense to you? I mean, don't even try to understand it. <sighs> what? It's like... Chloe, like... No, no, here. It's grand. Uh, yeah, let's let's make a formal announcement. Uh, listeners, I, Clina Devery, your favourite, have uh, come to the conclusion that, uh, for me... Um, Tab A does not, uh, in fact, fit into slot B. Nice. Oh, clean up. No, no this, is, this is grand. Like, I suppose we were going to have to say it explicitly at some stage. I just didn't think it was... Uh, doesn't matter. Um, yeah, yeah. Turns out uh, I like girls. Uh, so I will continue doing that for the uh, foreseeable future. Happy enough, are we? What like what's the problem? I thought everybody like well, we on you and like what's the what's what's the problem? Yeah, but like it's we're 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 on air, like Yeah. And I thought, you know, yeah, we could be on air and be all like, Oh yeah, yay, clean is gay, deadly, you know, like no, we're not gonna do that. I don't I don't know that like we get to make that decision though. Exactly. Like, I mean, we don't get to make decisions on, like, how and when stuff like that is shared. Like, Chloe, it's not, like, about us. Heterosexual people have been, like, making the rules since, I don't know, forever. And, like, we need to hand over control of the conversation to, like, the LGBTQ community so that they can, like, have the voice they've been denied for, like, so long. Like, you can't just decide to, like, out-clean it. It's beyond not okay, man. I'm... I'm still here, like... Um, no, like it's you're kind of talking about me, like I'm a worm you're about to dissect in like science class or something. It's kind of, it's kind of weird. You know, it kind of is in line though with the whole shooting people in the head for fun thing. Yeah, mm, she does. She does do that. All right, Arcady. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, uh, I guess I do. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Um, so, Clee, um, we could keep talking about, you know, this pretty weird situation we've put you in. Yeah, thanks for that, by the way. Oh, yeah, any, any time, man. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, we could, we could do more book stuff instead. Yeah, yeah, books, book stuff would be good. Uh, I thank you. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, Sersh, um, how about giving us the, uh, the old opening of the book there, you know, for the crack? Uh, yeah, 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 um, sure, you got it, um, opening, opening, yes, okay, um, yeah, there was no possibility of taking a walk that day, we had been wandering, indeed, in the leafless shrubbery for an hour in the morning, but since dinner, Mrs. Reed, when there was no company, dined early, the cold winter wind had brought with it clouds so somber and a rain so penetrating that further outdoor exercise was now out of the question, I was glad of it, I never liked long walks, especially on chilly afternoons. Dreadful to me was the coming home in the raw twilight with nipped fingers and toes and a heart saddened by the chidings of Bessie, the nurse, and humbled by the consciousness of my physical inferiority to Eliza, John and Georgiana Reed. The said Eliza, John and Georgiana were now clustered around their mamma in the drawing room. She lay reclined on a sofa beside the fireside and with her darlings about her, 
for the time neither quarrelling nor crying, looked perfectly happy. Me, she had dispensed from joining the group, saying she regretted to be under the necessity of keeping me at a distance, but that until she heard from Bessie and could discover by her own observation that I was endeavouring in good earnest to acquire a more sociable and childlike disposition, a more attractive and sprightly manner, something lighter, franker, more natural, as it were, she must exclude me from privileges intended only for contented, happy little children." What does Bessie say I have done? I asked. Jane, I don't like cavaliers or questioners. Besides, there is something truly forbidding in a child talking up to her elders in that manner. Be seated somewhere and until you can speak pleasantly, remain silent. A breakfast room adjoined the drawing room. I slipped in there. It contained a bookcase. I soon possessed myself of a volume, taking care that it should be one stored with pictures. I mounted into the window seat, gathering up my feet, I sat cross-legged like a Turk, and having drawn the red moreen curtain nearly close, I was shrined in double retirement. Folds of scarlet drapery shut in my view to the right hand. To the left, there were clear panes of glass, protecting but not separating me from the drear November day. At intervals, while turning over the leaves of my book, I studied the aspect of that winter afternoon. Afar, it offered a pale blank of mist and cloud near a scene of wet lawn and storm-beat shrub, with ceaseless rain sweeping away wildly before a long and lamentable blast. I returned to my book, Buick's History of British Birds. I have no idea if I said that right. Oh my goodness. So embarrassing. Um, (laughs) The letterpress thereof I cared little for, generally speaking, and yet there were certain introductory pages that, child as I was, I could not quite pass as a blank. They were those which treat the haunts of seafowl, of the solitary rocks and promontories, by them only inhabited of the coast of Norway, studied with isles from its southern extremity, the Lindeness, or Nays, to the North Cape where the northern ocean in vast whirls boils around the naked melancholy isles up farthest thule and the atlantic surge pours in among the stormy hebrides nor could i pass unnoticed the suggestion of the bleak shores of lapland siberia spitsbergen nova zembla nova zembla okay I, th- I was sure it was going to say Nova Scotia and I was all ready to say, oh my goodness, um, Iceland, Greenland, with the vast sweep of the Arctic zone and those forlorn regions of dreary space, that reservoir of frost and snow where firm fields of ice, the accumulation of centuries of winters glazed in alpine heights above heights, surround the pole and concentered the multiplied rigours of extreme cold. Of these death-white realms I formed an idea of my own, shadowy, like all the half-comprehended notions that float dim through children's brains, but strangely impressive. The words in these introductory pages connected themselves with the succeeding vignettes and gave significance to the rock standing up alone in a sea of billow and spray, to the broken boat stranded on a desolate coast, to the cold and ghastly moon glancing through the bars of cloud at a wreck just sinking. I cannot tell what sentiment haunted the quite solitary churchyard with its inscribed headstone, its gate, its two trees, its low horizon girdled by a broken wall and its newly risen crescent attesting the hour of eventide. The two ships becalmed on a torpid sea, I believe to be marine phantoms. The fiend pinning down the thief's pack behind him I passed over quickly. It was an object of terror. So was the black horned thing seated aloof on a rock, surveying a distant crowd surrounding a gallows. Each picture told a story mysterious often to my undeveloped understanding and imperfect feelings, yet ever profoundly interesting. 
As interesting as the tales Bessie sometimes narrated on a winter evening, when she chanced to be in good humour, and when, having brought her ironing table to the nursery hearth, she allowed us to sit about it, and while she got up Mrs. Reed's lace frills, and crimped her nightcap borders, fed our eager attention with passages of love and adventure taken from old fairy tales and other ballads, or, as at a later period I discovered, from the pages of Pamela and Henry, Earl of Moreland. I take it that's kind of a, a patent place like Daily Mail Online situation. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, with Buick on my knee, I was then happy, happy at least in my way. I feared nothing but interruption and that came too soon. The breakfast room door opened. Bah, Madame Mope, cried the voice of John Reed. Then he paused. He found the room apparently empty. Where the dickens is she? He continued. Lizzie, Georgie, calling to his sisters. Joan is not here. Tell Mama she has run out in the rain. Bad animal. It is well I drew the curtain, thought I, and I wished fervently he might not discover my hiding place. Nor would John Reed have found it out himself. He was not quick either of vision or conception. But Eliza just put her head in at the door and said at once, She is in the window seat, to be sure, Jack. And I came out immediately, for I trembled at the idea of being dragged forth by the said Jack. What do you want? I asked with awkward diffidence. Say, what do you want, Master Reed? was the answer. I want you to come here. And seating himself in an armchair, he intimated by a gesture that I was to approach and stand before him. John Reed was a schoolboy of 14 years old, four years older than I, for I was but 10. Large and stout for his age, with a dingy and unwholesome skin, thick lineaments in a spacious visage, heavy limbs and large extremities. He gorged himself habitually at table, which made him bilious, and gave him a dim and bleared eye and flabby cheeks. He ought now to have been at school, but his mamma had taken him home for a month or two on account of his delicate health. Mr. Miles, the master, affirmed that he would do very well if he had fewer cakes and sweetmeats sent him from home, but the mother's heart turned from an opinion so harsh, and inclined rather to the more refined idea that John's sallowness was owing to over-application and, perhaps, to pining after home. John had not much affection for his mother and sisters, and an antipathy to me. He bullied and punished me, not two nor three times in the week, nor once or twice in the day, but continually. Every nerve I had feared him, and every morsel of flesh in my bones shrank when he came near. There were moments when I was bewildered by the terror he inspired, because I had no appeal whatever against either his menaces or his inflictions. The servants did not like to offend their young master by taking my part against him, and Mrs. Reed was blind and deaf on the subject. She never saw him strike or heard him abuse me, though he did both now and then in her very presence, more frequently, however, behind her back. Habitually obedient to John, I came up to his chair. He spent some three minutes in thrusting out his tongue at me as far as he could without damaging the roots. I knew he would soon strike, and while dreading the blow, I mused on the disgusting and ugly appearance of him who would presently deal it. I wonder if he read that notion in my face, for all at once, without speaking, he struck suddenly and strongly. I tottered, and on regaining my equilibrium, retired back a step or two from his chair. That is for your impudence in answering Mama a while back since, said he, and for your sneaking way of getting behind curtains, and for the look you had in your eyes two minutes since, you rat. Accustomed to John Reed's abuse, I never had an idea of replying to it. My care was how to endure the blow which would certainly follow the insult. What were you doing behind the curtain? he asked. I was reading. Show the book. I returned to the window and fetched it thence. 
You have no business to take our books. You are a dependent, Mama says. You have no money. Your father left you none. You ought to beg and not live here with gentlemen's children like us and eat the same meals we do and wear clothes at our Mama's expense. Now I'll teach you to rummage my bookshelves, for they are mine. All the house belongs to me or will do in a few years. Go and stand by the door out of the way of the mirror and windows. I did so, not at first aware what was his intention, but when I saw him lift and poise the book and stand in act to hurl it, I instinctively started aside with a cry of alarm. Not soon enough. However, the volume was flung. It hit me, and I fell, striking my head against the door and cutting it. The cut bled. The pain was sharp. My terror passed its climax. Other feelings succeeded. Wicked and cruel boy, I said. You are like a murderer. You are like a slave driver. You are like the Roman emperors. I had read Goldsmith's History of Rome and had formed my opinion of Nero, Caligula, etc. Also, I had drawn parallels in silence, which I had never thought thus to have declared aloud. What? What? he cried. Did she say that to me? Did you hear her, Eliza and Georgiana? Won't I tell Mama? But first, he ran headlong at me. I felt him grasp my hair and my shoulder. He had closed with a desperate thing. I really saw him as a tyrant, a murderer. I felt a drop or two of blood from my head trickle down my neck and was sensible of somewhat pungent suffering. These sensations for the time predominated over fear and I received him in a frantic sort. I don't very well know what I did with my hands, but he called me rat, rat and bellowed aloud. Aid was near him. Eliza and Georgiana had run for Mrs. Reed, who was gone upstairs. She now came upon the scene, followed by Bessie and her maid, Abbott. We were parted. I heard the words, Dear, dear, what a fury to fly at Master John. Did ever anybody see such a picture of passion? Then Mrs. Reed subjoined, take her away to the red room and lock her in there. Four hands were immediately laid upon me and I was borne upstairs. God damn. Mrs. Reed is like such an actual bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, she is. Jane's just there living her own life, coming up with like mad shit in her head. Oh my God, I do love that. Like she's just able to go into that like imaginary place and just come up with wild stories, like completely on her own. It's crazy. She's like only 10 there. Yeah. And like you were 11 reading and understanding the book. You were absolutely the same, dude. Yeah. But like well better looking. <laughs> like, why are you so thirsty for Saoirse? Because she's a riot. OK, you didn't have no like evil Mrs. Reed character like coming after you, Saoirse, did you? <laughs> How would that even be a yeah, thing? I wouldn't Saoirse have to have like an evil guardian person as opposed to the whole Brady Bunch Flannery situation that we actually have going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is an excellent point, Jenna. Excellent point. <laughs> but like, no, you do you do hear stories about people like that, though. Like, yeah, that can't like handle kids that aren't theirs. Like, I know my granda, his his mom died when he was little and then his dad remarried. And then like the new wife just like kicked all the kids out, like because she just didn't want them in the house because they weren't hers. Oh my God, what happened to them? Like neighbours and stuff talked them in. Like, like it was just like that in the 30s. Like, we're here talking about, like, nearly 100 years before that again. Like, my God, I mean... Was your granddad okay? Well, like, I suppose I don't really know. Like, the only thing I really remember about him is, like, how afraid he was of my grandmother. Um, because, in fairness, she was terrifying. Yeah, yeah. My nana Tierney is a bit like that. Like, genuinely, she's not human. Yeah, yeah. Granny Molly used to, like, kill mice that got into the garden with, like, an actual shovel. And, like, she didn't hit them with it. She, like, used the sharp edge to kill them. Yeah. Shit, man. 
Like a mobster? Scarily like a mobster. But like a mobster that was like four foot tall and had a perm that weighed approximately like eight pounds. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like their old lady battle helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, Granny Molly was, uh, she was a general then at least. Yeah, if not like a deposed czar or something. It was a big perm, is what I'm saying. Oh, oh we, we get it. <laughs> Um, okay, so like I know we've got a lot to get through on this, so maybe if we sort of lash through the plot and then come back to talk about all the, you know, deep and meaningful thoughts we have. Like, of which there are like many. I failed to see how that is possible considering your virtual body count this week. Like, how can you have like enough time for like deep and meaningful thoughts to even happen in the first place to you, Katie? Uh, thoughts don't happen, dude. You think them, so... This is not exactly what I meant by lashing through the plot here, lads. Well, like, the next thing is that Mrs. Reed sends Jane to school, right? Yes, 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 yes. So Jane gets sent to Lowood School, and you know what? We've got an excerpt for that one, too. I know that we've kind of got a lot of reading going on, but like, we all really wanted to do this one, right? <gasps> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Brocklehurst, <laughs> yeah, I want to do that. Oh, here. <laughs> oh, my God, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, we're not gonna get a we're not gonna get a better reaction than that. So Chloe, why don't you why don't you take us through this one? Okay, 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 okay. My call to arms, all right. So yeah. So Jane, yeah, Jane has has joined Lowood, which is a sort of religious school for girls in her situation in quotes. Uh, <laughs> and Mr. Brocklehurst, he's the uh, he's the person in charge. Yeah, that's how I'll put it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So my first quarter at Lowood seemed an age and not the golden age either. It comprised an irksome struggle with difficulties in habituating myself to new rules and unwanted tasks. The fear of failure in these points harassed me worse than the physical hardships of my law, though these were no trifles. So during January, February and part of March, the deep snows and after their melting, the almost impassable roads prevented our steering beyond the garden walls except to go to church. But within these limits, we had to pass an hour every day in the open air. Our clothing was insufficient to protect us from severe colds. We had no boots. The snow got into our shoes and melted there. Our ungloved hands became numbed and covered with chillblains, which are super gross, uh, as were our feet. I remember well the distracting irritation I endured from this cause every evening where my feet were inflamed and the torture of trusting the swelled, raw and stiff toes into my shoes in the morning. Then the scanty supply of food was distressing. Oh my God, I feel you, Chain. With the keen appetites of growing children like me. I'm a growing child as well. I'm 18. I'm not no adult yet. Okay. Yeah. With the keen appetites of growing children, we had scarcely sufficient to keep alive a delicate invalid. From this deficiency of Nourishment resulted in abuse, which pressed hardly on the younger pupils. Whenever the famished great girls had an opportunity, they would coax or menace the little ones out of their portion. Many a time I have shared between two claimants the precious morsel of brown bread distributed at tea time, and after relinquishing to a third half the contents of my mug of coffee, I have swallowed the remainder with an accompaniment of secret tears forced from me by the exigency of hunger. Sundays were dreary days in that wintry season. We had to walk two miles to Brocklebridge Church where our patron officiated. We set out cold. We arrived at the church colder. During the morning service, we became almost paralysed. 
It was too far to return to dinner and an allowance of cold meat and bread in the same penurious portion absorbed in our ordinary meals was served round between the services. At the close of the afternoon service, we returned by an exposed and hilly road where the bitter winter wind blowing over a range of snowy summits to the north almost flayed the skins from our faces. I can remember Miss Temple. Oh my God, I love Miss Temple. She's like a head teacher person and she's like really cool. She's just, yeah, she's just really nice and lovely and we love her. Um, but, yeah, a bit like Beyonce, but like, yeah, in the 1800s in like Yorkshire or somewhere. Um, yeah, Miss Temple walking lightly and rapidly along our drooping line, her plaid cloak, which the frosty wind fluttered, gathered close about her and encouraging us by precept and example to keep up our spirits and march forward, as she said, like stalwart soldiers. The other teachers, poor things, were generally themselves too much dejected to attempt the task of cheering others. How we longed for the light and heat of a blazing fire when we got back. But to the little ones, at least, this was denied. Each heart in the schoolroom was immediately surrounded by a double row of great girls and behind them the younger children crouched in groups wrapping their starved arms in their pinafores. A little solace came at tea time in the shape of a double ration of bread, a whole instead of a half slice with the delicious addition of a tin scrape of butter. This is the saddest thing I've ever read in my whole life. Um, <laughs> it was the hebdomadal treat. I assume that's a good thing, to which we all looked forward to from Sabbath to Sabbath. I generally contrived to reserve a moiety of this bounteous repast or something for myself, but the remainder I was invariably obliged to part with because people would take it off her. They're so mean. Um, the Sunday evening was spent in repeating by heart the church catechism and the fifth, sixth and seventh chapters of St. Matthew and in listening to a long sermon read by Miss Miller whose irrepressible yawns attested her weariness. A frequent interlude of these performances was the enactment of the part of Euchitsch some old bloke by some <laughs> half dozen of little girls who overpowered with sleep would fall down if not out of the third loft yet off the fourth form and be taken up half dead. The remedy was to trust them forward into the centre of the schoolroom and oblige them to stand there till the sermon was finished. This is like genuine abuse. Uh, sometimes their feet failed them and they sank together in a heap. They were then propped up with the monitor's high stills. I have not yet alluded to the visits of Mr. Brocklehurst and indeed that gentleman was from home during the greater part of the first month after my arrival, perhaps prolonging his stay with his friend the Archdeacon. His absence was a relief to me. I need not say that I had my own reasons for dreading his coming, but he did come at last. So yet when like Mrs. Reid introduced Mr. Brocklehurst to like Air Jane, he was like a proper dickhead to her. Uh, yeah. Okay. One afternoon, I had then been three weeks at Lowood. As I was sitting with a slate in my hand, puzzling over a sum in long division, my eyes, raised in abstraction to the window, caught sight of a figure just passing. I recognised almost instinctively that gaunt outline, and when two minutes later all of the school teachers included rose en masse, it was not necessary for me to look up in order to ascertain whose interest they just greeted. A long stride measured the schoolroom, and presently beside Miss Temple, who herself had risen, stood the same black column which had frowned on me so ominously from the heart rug of Gateshead, where, like, yeah, where Mrs. Reed lives. Um, it's all connected. Um, I now glanced sideways at this piece of architecture. Yes, I was right. It was Mr. Brocklehurst, buttoned up in a surtout, which I assume is just a horrible coat or something, and looking longer, narrower and more rigid than ever. 
I had my own reasons for being dismayed at this apparition. Too well, I remembered the perfidious hints given by Mrs. Reed about my disposition. I don't know what that means, but I think it's bad. Um, the promise pledged by Mr. Brocklehurst to apprise Miss Temple and the teachers of my vicious nature. All along, I had been dreading the fulfilment of this promise. I had been looking out daily for the coming man whose information respecting my past life and conversation was to brand me as like a bad child forever. Now, there he was. He stood at Miss Temple's side. He was speaking low in her ear. I did not doubt he was making disclosures of my villainy and I watched her eye with painful anxiety, expecting every moment to see its dark orb turn on me in a glance of repugnance and contempt. I listened too and as I happened to be seated quite at the top of the room, I caught most of what he said. His import relieved me from immediate apprehension. I suppose, Miss Temple, the tread I bought at Loughton will do. It struck me that it would be just of the quality for the calico chemises, and I sorted out the needles to match. You might tell Miss Smith that I forgot to make a memorandum of the darning needles, but she shall have some paper sent in next week, and she is not on any account to give out more than one at a time to each pupil. If they have more, they are apt to be careless and lose them. And, oh ma'am. I wish the woolen stockings were better looked to. When I was here last, I went to the kitchen garden and examined the clothes drawing on the line and there was a quantity of black holes in very bad state of repair. From the size of the holes in them, I was sure they had not been well mended from time to time. He paused. Your directions shall be attended to, sir, said Miss Temple. And ma'am, he continued, the laundress tells me some of the girls have two clean tuckers in the week it is too much. The rules limit them to one. I think I can explain that circumstance, sir. Agnes and Catherine Johnstone were invited to take tea with some friends at Loughton last Thursday and I gave them lead to put on clean tuckers for the occasion. Mr. Brocklehurst nodded. Well, for once it may pass, but please do not let the circumstance occur too often. And there is another thing which surprised me. I find in settling accounts with a housekeeper that a lunch consisting of bread and cheese has twice been been served out to the girls during the past fortnight. How is this? I looked over the regulations and I find no such meal as lunch mentioned. Who introduced this innovation and by what authority? I must be responsible for the circumstance, sir, replied Miss Temple. The breakfast was so ill-prepared that the pupils could not possibly eat it and I dared not allow them to remain fasting till dinner time. Oh my God, she's such a legend. Madam. Oh, this prick, I swear. Madam. Allow me an instant. You are aware that my plan in bringing up these girls is not to accustom them to habits of luxury and indulgence, but to render them hardy, patient, self-denying. Should any little accidental disappointment of the appetite occur, such as the spoiling of a meal, the under or overdressing of a dish, the incident ought not to be neutralised by replacing with something more delicate the comfort lost, thus pampering the body and obviating the aim of this institution. It ought to be improved to the spiritual edification of the pupils by encouraging them to evince fortitude under temporary privation. A brief address on those occasions would not be mistimed, wherein the judicious instructor would take the opportunity of referring to the sufferings of the primitive Christians, to the torments of martyrs, to the exhortations of our blessed Lord himself. Do you get a load of this? Calling upon his disciples to take up their cross and follow him to his warnings that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. No, wait, no, seriously, no. Like I know he's saying like good stuff, but wait until it happens later. To his divine consolations, 
means if ye suffer hunger or thirst for my sake happy are ye oh madam when you put bread and cheese instead of burnt porridge into these children's mouths you may indeed fade their vile bodies vile but you little think how you starve their immortal souls right Mr. Brocklehurst again paused, perhaps overcome by his feelings. Miss Temple had looked down when he first began to speak to her, but she now gazed straight before her, and her face, naturally pale as marble, appeared to also be assuming the coldness and fixity of that material, especially her mouth, closed as if it would have required a sculptor's chisel to open it, and her brow settled gradually into petrified severity. What a boss! Right. Meanwhile, Mr. Brocklehurst, standing on the heart with his hands behind his back, majestically surveyed the whole school. Suddenly, his eye gave a blink, as if it had met something that either dazzled or shocked its pupil. Turning, he said in more rapid accents than he had hitherto used, Miss Temple, Miss Temple, what is that girl with curled hair? Red hair, ma'am, curled, curled all over. And extending his cane, he pointed to the awful object, his hand shaking as he did so. It is Julia Severn, replied Miss Temple, very quietly. Julia Severn, ma'am, and why has she or any other curled hair? Why, in defiance of every precept and principle of this house, does she conform to the world so openly, here in an evangelical charitable establishment to wear her hair one mass of curls? Julia's hair curls naturally returned Miss Temple, still more quietly. Naturally? Yes, but we are not to conform to nature. I wish these girls to be children of grace. And why that abundance? I have again and again intimated that I desire the hair to be arranged closely, modestly, plainly. Miss Temple, that girl's hair must be cut off entirely. I will send a barber tomorrow and I see others who have far too much of the execrants. I take it that's hair. That tall girl, tell her to turn round. Tell all the first form to rise up and direct their faces to the wall. Miss Temple passed her handkerchief over her lips as if to smooth away the involuntary smile that curled them. She gave the order, however, and when the first class could take in what was required of them, they obeyed. Leaning a little back on my bench, I could see the looks and grimaces with which they commented this manoeuvre. It was a pity Mr. Brocklehurst could not see them too. He would perhaps have felt that whatever he might do with the outside of the cup and the platter, the inside was further beyond his interference than he imagined. Good on you, girls. He scrutinised the reverse of these living medals some five minutes, then pronounced sentence. These words fell like the knell of doom. All these top knots must be cut off. <sighs> Miss Temple seemed to rem- rem- remonstrate. Yeah. Eh, uh, madam, he pursued, I have a master to serve whose kingdom is not of this world. My mission is to mortify, mortify in these girls the lust of the flesh, to teach them to clothe themselves with shamefacedness and sobriety. Seriously, not with braided hair and costly apparel. I hardly think what they're wearing is costly here, man. Uh, and each of the young persons before us has a string of hair twisted in plaits which vanity itself must have woven. This, I repeat, must be cut off. I think of the time wasted of... Mr. Brocklehurst was here interrupted. Three other visitors... Ladies, now entered the room. They ought to have come a little sooner to have heard his lecture on dress, for they 
were splendidly attired in velvet, silk and furs. The two younger of the trio, fine girls of 16 and 17, had grey beaver hats then in fashion, shaded with ostrich plumes, and out from the brim of this grateful headdress fell a profusion of light tresses, elaborately curled, and the elder lady was enveloped in a costly velvet shawl, trimmed with ermine, and she wore a false front, a false front, girls, of French curls. Oh my actual God, that's his wife and two daughters. He is an actual pig. I just can't. I genuinely can't. <laughs> oh my God, I have to put myself on mute. Oh my God, Sarah Same. Same. Oh. <laughs> oh, dude, no, seriously. You're the worst, but like, <laughs> No, but like, no, just, I completely agree, Chloe. Like, it's, it seems like there's this like this feeling, you know, like that. Oh, yeah, it's just it's, he, you know, he's he's just so moralizing and he's got that like particular idea about women that they have to be sort of like chaste and subservient in order to be acceptable. And like, oh, and like there's this feeling that like he he thinks that like if a girl has like no money, then the only acceptable way for her to be is this like St. Bridget type that wants, you know, to be ugly in order to be good. Like that's the only way like for them to be in any way okay in the world. It's, yeah, it's for them to like offer up, I don't know, like all their suffering or something, like not have any sense of like passion or emotion or anything. It's just, oh! Yeah, like, yeah, it is. It's, it's maddening. And like what is cool, like is that Jane already kind of knows that she can handle, like that, that that's stupid and like that she wants to like reject it completely like, yeah like she she knows that he's a prick but like what I didn't like is like she's afraid of him like like she kind of like she starts to like oh he's gonna tell everybody about me like she doesn't even know herself that like she was not in the wrong when she was at home and like her aunt Reed was like lying about her well like I mean she's only nine like I don't know I can I can kind of imagine nine-year-old Chloe having a proper go at someone like I'm not even messing there genuinely was this one time in taekwondo where this teacher guy was like properly laying into my mate Tiffany and I like went for him like how long before you were like kicked out of the class like a good 15 minutes like (laughs) (laughs) yeah I didn't exactly get invited back for any more classes after that Uh, but you know I felt my work was done (laughs) (laughs) like we are genuinely like way over halfway already and we have not even gotten to Mr. Rochester genuinely might be a new law yeah like even for us man okay dude you have legitimately been one of the ones taking up most of the airtime with explaining your GTA missions and like starting fights with Chloe yeah oh my god Katie like what's your actual problem oh my god do not even start miss bang bang con over there so like it's probably time to take a break sarah is it (laughs) (laughs) yes yes it is um let's take a break here and uh, attempt to talk about jane eyre when we get back um so yeah we'll, we'll be back after after these messages so here are two tours one time we have had some inquiries about what PPA we're working with considering the current quarantine situation. Well, we're happy to report that Jono sprays that bandana he's wearing with bleach every day. So that's what it looks like that. In addition, we did start off wearing gloves and all, but they were shit for changing tours. So instead, we put a protective layer of copy deck glue on our hands before a job. As an added bonus, it's, you know, deadly crack to pull off afterwards. And it does not get in the way of us changing your tires or your chain on your bike. So, do you need your tires or your chain changed on your bike? You know, you need to cycle in a two kilometer circle around your house. 
pretty sure that's how that works. So, yeah, if you do, give us a call. Our prices cannot be bad. Two tours. Watch out. Was... Was that... Racist? I don't... I don't know. Maybe? Like, like I feel like it definitely is. It's like tripping all sorts of alarms for me, but like, I just, I'm not sure why. Like, they're, they're, they're trying, I suppose. Oh my god, did you guys hear that, like, a bunch of callers, like, genuinely started on Denise Doyle this week when she, like, started talking smack about travellers on, like, Dodoy? No, no yes. Oh my god. Seriously? Did you just say talking smack? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, like everybody's talking about it. There's like a snippet on the ad of the conversation or something. Yeah, yeah, we have it queued to play at the end of the show, I think, whenever we get there. Oh, wow. Like that's that's kind of weirdly exciting. Because like, I don't think people talk enough about like the prejudice the traveling community gets. Yeah, like genuinely, it's it's so bad. Yeah, like out here, it's fairly standard to kind of have a load of friends that like just kind of trade stories about why you hit travellers when you just have nothing else to say yeah yeah it's like that up here too i mean you are like genuinely only off the road like <laughs> but like no i know it's so bad like i've got a friend that works um in like that shopping center near here and like she goes on the whole time about how like oh when travelers come in they steal it's like well i mean were they all women were they all between 18 and 20 why aren't those like the reasons they were stealing oh yeah because like you're a 19 year old girl and you don't steal like it's genuine actual racism and i honestly don't get why people can't get their heads around that crazy yeah and like what i find hard about it is that people kind of like even when they do get that something is like a racist thing to like think about like any group but like they just think of that as like a rule that they have to obey from then on like it's like okay i'm not allowed to say that i'll just be pc you know i won't say it i won't get in trouble but like they don't actually think about like why it's offensive to say or think the thing that they're not allowed to say you know which is kind of the whole point but like like following those rules like does a lot of the work like i mean i can't have certain experiences so like i should follow rules you know like if 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 i don't say what i'm not supposed to say then like i won't upset anybody you know yeah but it's like like it's not so much about not upsetting people as it is about not hitting people like if you don't hit people and try to understand where they're coming from then you won't do the thing that hurts them because you're trying to see things from their point of view exactly and you know it's not even about hate it can be about fear or just kind of not thinking about it because you don't have to you know like if, if you're just blindly applying a rule you're still sort of treating groups of people as like this faceless mass that's like irreconcilably different from you like you're not like trying to empathize in a real way like with the things that have happened to them and continue to happen with them and like if you don't do that then how can you like interact in a meaningful way really yeah but like you you just like you're not supposed to say certain things and like how would you know that if you hadn't been like told like you, there are rules yeah 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 yeah. no 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 i know what you mean katie yeah and like the effort like there's a lot of effort that goes into that and that's like definitely a thing like remember how you told me before that i shouldn't say like how stuff is gay when like it's just annoying or stupid like and now it's good that you got me out of habit you know because cleaner <sighs> i hear i'm actually getting it wrong again no 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 it's grand um here we have to talk about mr rochester don't we yeah we do we do that's a that's a really good point so um 
ugly sexy is is the word that we came up with. Um, so so yeah, let's uh, let's let's take a look. Um, so yeah, Jane stays at Lowood till she's like um, our age, pretty much, and then she gets all anxious to be you know out doing stuff. She gets herself a job as a governess at this place, Thornfield Hall. So she travels out there on her own, like she's I don't know doing the Inca Trail to go find herself or something. And um, it's uh, yeah, she she goes and she meets her her very um, nice. Charge uh, Adele, who's a ward that uh, Mr. Rochester um, has taken in. So he's he's the owner of Thornfield Hall. Um, so he's not there when when Jane gets there, but um, he arrives a couple of days later, and Jane uh, meets him when he's on the way in with his horse. Um, he's yeah, he's all windswept and interesting, and and he's hurt his foot or something has happened. So the horse threw him, I think maybe. Um, Jesus, you'd think I read this book years ago, um, but yeah, they they meet out there, and then this is is where they've gotten back to the house and the housekeeper. Um, Mrs. Fairfax is introducing Jane to him proper. Um, Clee, what do you think? D- yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so, yeah, so Mrs. Fairfax, the the housekeeper, yeah, she's bringing um, Jane down to, to talk to, to Mr. Rochester. Um, here is Miss Eyre. Eyre said that's strange. <laughs> here is Miss Eyre, sir, uh, said Mrs. Fairfax in her quiet way. He bowed, still not taking his eyes from the group of the dog and child. His dog and Adele. Just thought I'd explain that. Um, Let Miss Eyre be seated, said he. And there was something in the forced stiff bow in the impatient yet formal tone, which seemed to further express, what the deuce is it to me whether Miss Eyre be there or not? At this moment, I am not disposed to accost her. (laughs) I sat down quite disembarrassed. A reception of finished politeness would probably have confused me. I could not have returned or repaid it by answering grace and elegance on my part, but harsh caprice laid me under no obligation. On the contrary, a decent quiescence under the freak of manner gave me the advantage. Besides, the eccentricity of the proceeding was piquant. Ooh. Um, I felt interested to see how he would go on. Like a lovely green curry. Um, he went on as a statue would. That is, he neither spoke nor moved. Mrs. Fairfax seemed to think it necessary that someone should be amiable and she began to talk, kindly, as usual, and as usual, rather trite. She condoled him on the pressure of business he had had all day, on the annoyance it must have been to him with that painful sprain, he sprained his ankle, Sarah. Uh, Then she commended his patience and perseverance in going through with it. Madam, I should like some tea, was the sole rejoinder she got. She hastened to ring the bell and when the tray came, she proceeded to arrange the cups, spoons, etc. with assiduous celerity. I and Adele went to the table, but Master did not leave his couch. Will you hand Mr. Rochester's cup, said Miss Fairfax to me. Adele perhaps might spill it. I did as requested. As he took the cup from my hand, Adele, thinking the moment propitious for making a request in my favour, cried out, N'est-ce pas, monsieur, qu'il y a un cadeau pour mademoiselle Eyre dans votre petit coffre? Does that sound right? I don't know. <laughs> um, I hope I didn't, yeah, upset anyone or like insult any French listeners, uh, dead grandmothers. Um, but yes, who talks of cadeau? He said gruffly. Did you expect a present, Miss Eyre? Are you fond of presents? And he searched my face with eyes that I saw were dark, irate and piercing. I hardly know, sir. I have little experience of them. They are generally taught pleasant things. Generally taught? But what do you think? I should be obliged to take time, sir, before I should give you an answer worthy of your acceptance. A president has many faces to it, has it not? And one should consider all before pronouncing an opinion as to its nature. 
Miss Eyre, you are not so unsophisticated as Adele. She demands a cadeau. Clamorously. The moment she sees me, you, you beat about the bush. Because I have less confidence in my desserts than Adele has. She can prefer the claim of an old acquaintance and the right to of custom, for she says you have always been in the habit of giving her playthings. But if I had to make out a case, I should be puzzled, since I am a stranger and have had nothing to entitle me to an acknowledgement. Oh, don't fall back on over-modesty. I have examined Adele and have found that you take great pains with her. She is not bright. She has no talents. Yet, in a short time, she has made much improvement. Sir, you have now given me my cadeau. I am obliged to you. It is the mead teachers most covet. Praise of their pupils' progress. Hmm, said Mr. Rochester, and he took his tea in silence. Come to the fire, said the master, when the tray was taken away, and Mrs. Fairfax had settled into a corner with her knitting. While Adele was leading me by the hand round the room, showing me the beautiful books and ornaments on the consoles and chiffoniers. We obeyed, as in duty bound. Adele wanted to take a seat on my knee, but she was ordered to amuse herself with Pilot, the dog. You have been resident in my house three months. Yes, sir. And you came from, from Lowood School, sir. Ah, a charitable concern. How long were you there? Eight years. Eight years? You must be tenacious of life. I thought half the time in such a place would have done up any constitution. No wonder you have rather the look of another world. I marvelled where you had got that sort of face. When you came on me in Hay Lane last night, I thought unaccountably of fairy tales and had half a mind to demand whether you had bewitched my horse. I am not sure yet. Who are your parents? I have none. Nor have ever had, I suppose. Do you remember them? No. I thought not. And so you were waiting for your people when you sat on that stile. For whom, sir? For the men in green. It was a proper moonlit evening for them. Did I break through one of your rings that you spread that damned ice on the causeway? I shook my head. The men in green all forsook England a hundred years ago, said I, speaking as seriously as he had done. And not even in Hay Lane or the fields about it could you find a trace of them. I don't think either summer or harvest or winter moon will ever shine on their revels more. Mrs. Fairfax had dropped her knitting and with raised eyebrows seemed wondering what sort of talk was this. Well, resumed Mr. Rochester, if you disown parents, you must have some sort of kinsfolk. Uncles and aunts? No, none that I ever saw. And your home? I have none. Where do your brothers and sisters live? I have no brothers or sisters. Who recommended you to come here? I advertised and Mrs. Fairfax answered my advertisement. Yes, said the good lady, who now knew what ground we were upon, and I am daily thankful for the choice Providence led me to make. Miss Eyre has been an invaluable companion to me and a kind and careful teacher to Adele. Don't trouble yourself to give her a character, returned Mr. Rochester. Eulogium's compliments, I suppose, uh, will not bias me. I shall judge for myself. She began by felling my horse. Sir, said Mrs. Fairfax, I have her to thank for this sprain. The widow looked bewildered. Miss Eyre, have you ever lived in a town? No, sir. Have you ever seen much society? None but the pupils and teachers of Lowood and now the inmates of Tarnfield. Have you read much? Only such books as came my way, and they have not been numerous or very learned. You have lived the life of a nun. No doubt you are very well drilled in religious forms. Brocklehurst, who I understood directs Lowood, is a parson, is he not? Yes, sir. And you girls probably worshipped him as a convent full of religiouses would worship their director. Oh, no. You are very cool. No. What? A novice not worship her priest? That sounds blasphemous. I disliked Mr. Brocklehurst, and I was not alone in the feeling. He is a harsh man, at once pompous and meddling. 
He cut off our hair and for economy's sake bought us bad needles and thread with which we could hardly sew. That is a very false economy, remarked Mrs Fairfax, who again caught the drift of the dialogue. And that was the head and front of his offending, demanded Mr Rochester. He starved us when he had the sole superintendence of the provision department before the committee was appointed and he bored us with long lectures once a week and with evening readings from books of his own inditing about sudden deaths and judgments which made us afraid to go to bed. What age were you when you went to Lowood? About ten. And you stayed there eight years, then you are now eighteen. I assented. Arithmetic, you see, is useful. Without its aid, I should scarcely have been able to guess your age. It is a point difficult to fix where the features and countenance are so much at variance as in your case. Nice. <laughs> and now what did you learn at Lowood? Can you play? A little. Of course, that is the established answer. Go into the library. I mean, if you please. Excuse my tone of command. I'm used to say, do this, and it is done. I cannot alter my customary habits for one new inmate. Go then into the library, take a candle with you, leave the door open, sit down to the piano and play a tune. I departed, obeying his directions. Enough, he called out in a few minutes. You play a little, I see, like any other English schoolgirl, perhaps a little better than some, but not well. I closed the piano and returned. Mr. Rochester continued. Adele showed me some sketches this morning, which she said were yours. I don't know whether they were entirely of your doing. Probably a master aided you. No, indeed. I interjected. Ah, that prick's pride. Well, fetch me your portfolio. If you can vouch for its contents being original, but don't pass your word unless you are certain, I can recognise patchwork. Then I will say nothing and you shall judge for yourself, sir. I brought the portfolio from the library. Approach the table, said he, and I wheeled it to his couch. Adele and Mrs Fairfax drew near to see the pictures. No crowding, said Mr Rochester. Take the drawings from my hand as I finish with them, but don't push your faces up to mine. He deliberately scrutinised each sketch and painting. Three he laid aside, the others, when he had examined them, he swept from him. Take them off to the other table, Mrs Fairfax, said he, and look at them with Adele. You, glancing at me, resume your seat and answer my questions. I perceive those pictures were done by one hand. Was that hand yours? Yes. And when did you find time to do them? They have taken much time, and some thought. I did them in the last two holidays I spent at Lowood, when I had no other occupation. Where did you get your copies? Out of my head. That head I see now on your shoulders. Yes, sir. Has it other furniture of the same kind within? I should think it may have. I should hope better. Oh, it's very good, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's such a pity that we had to cut it short. It's just, yeah, would have loved to do like all of that conversation. Yeah, like I remember yeah, like time. Oh my God. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, no, no. It's just, like, yeah, I remember reading it. We were, me and Sarah were talking about this. And uh, yeah, I remember thinking that like Jen and Mr. Rochester like talking. It's, it's sort of, it's a bit like a kind of a, a, a sword fight conversation, isn't it? I mean, that's just that's just very good. This is a very good line. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it, it was weird, like for like conversations, like back and forth like that to be like, like that sexy, like ugly sexy. Oh my God, can I talk about ugly sexiness for like a minute? Am I loud? Well, that's kind of why I said it. I was under the impression you'd uh, been putting some thought into it. Oh my God, oh my God, like a genuine. Have? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, no. You know the way there are like some blogs out there, like, like they're not exactly like good looking, like, like they're not handsome or like pretty, like you know. But like they're kind of craggly and like even a bit like unhinged looking sometimes. Like, mm, you know your man Joe Quinn Phoenix. 
Um, excuse me, what? <laughs> Katie. What? He's like an example of the type of person I'm talking about. What? No, 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 no. I, 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 I get that. Um, I'm also more than a little concerned that I know exactly what you mean, but that's a separate conversation. Um, no, no, I was just wondering about that, uh, that, that pronunciation that you're rocking there. What? Yeah, that's, that's not how you say his name, Chloe. Yeah, it is. Joaquin Phoenix. That's his name. No, no, no that's how it's spelled, all right? Yeah, um, it's, um, no, it's pronounced uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, it's, it's like it's a Spanish name or something, right? Yeah, like a Latin American kind of situation or something. Well, it's like, why is it spelled like that? Because, like, different languages are, like, different, man. <laughs> <laughs> fine. Okay, all right, fine. So, like, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix then. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that kind of like, you know, intense brooding, you know, again, yeah, slightly unhinged. I could crush your skull right now, but I won't because I love you so much. Like that kind of sexy. Again, like deeply, deeply disturbing that I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Problematic, Katie. Right? <laughs> no, like damaged, intense fucks be sexy, you know, it's it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of Lana Del Rey's whole thing. Right? And like, I mean, you would, like. <laughs> so true, <laughs> so true. <laughs> but like, I do, I do love their relationship, though, Jane and Mr. Rochester. Like, I think, though, thinking about it, like, I do kind of like Jane more in it than I like him in it. Oh, 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 oh explain. That was like a really weird noise. Also, you should stop drooling. You will probably electrocute yourself. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> but no, so like with Jane, like she's obviously had like a really tough time, like before she even gets to Thornfield. Um, she's been told by her family, by the school that she's sent to, by like society in general, that like she shouldn't be seen as a person by anyone else, you know, that being noticed and like appreciated and celebrated for like who she is, is that that's for other women, you know, it's not for her. And like she had the audacity to be like born poor and an orphan and she's going to be punished for that forever you know yeah yeah it seems like particularly like as she grows up in Lowood she kind of just like accepts that the best she can hope for is like I don't know like a feeling of peace in herself or something and like a rich inner life because like she's not going to get any of that stuff from the world outside you know yeah yeah like that she can only enjoy things on her own like that she'll only really have her own thoughts for company which you know it's, it's not it's not a bad thing. No, no, I suppose not. Like, I suppose there are folks out there that, like, that's genuinely their dream. They, they love, maybe not their dream, but, like, they, they, they're fine with their own company, you know. But, like, when you think about Jane when she was, like, young and living with the Reeds, she was, you know, the way she was, like, a fighter, kind of? She, she fought against that feeling of, like, unfairness, of being excluded. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, she's not okay with, like, people, like, treating her unfairly. And, like, yeah, she fights back against it proper. But then, like, then after that, when she's in school, she kind of, she kind of loses that. Yeah, but, like, it's not like it's, like, beaten out of her or anything. She sort of, like, as time goes on, like, makes the decision that it's, like, not worth it or something. Like, kind of, the system is too strong. So she may as well find a way to go along with the fact that she's, like, not allowed fight back or like have lots of interpersonal relationships or whatever just because yeah she's a poor woman that doesn't have family you know yeah yeah and like the people she respects you know like Miss Temple Helen Burns her her best friend in school oh, oh my god yeah. Helen yeah yeah but they all they all like act in that way and they all sort of go along with the system and aim for like peace over passion and like accept that they can't fight for the things that rich women have you know so they, they kind of 
they make the best of the situation they're in, you know, reading, imagining, drawing, living like this rich inner life, like you said. But like for Jane, she does meet Mr. Rochester and he does see her, you know, and that's kind of what I think makes the the relationship like so satisfying. But like you said, you don't really like him in the relationship though yes yes I did say that (laughs) Um, yeah so like Mr. Rochester sort of like singles Jane out like um, oh I want to talk to Jane oh bring Miss Eyre in you know yeah but like that is kind of the best like that idea of like say someone like showing up to like a hangout or a party or something just because like you're there yeah 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 yeah. here move over I want to sit beside Sarah that kind of thing oh man seriously like but like the thing is though he's sort of like borderline obsessive as like time goes on like the idea that she's this fairy sprite person thing that's like sent to save him like that doesn't go away I hear Sarah like I don't think he really meant that like like he's only like a little bit unhinged he's not full-on like delusional (laughs) no no I know that like but no no what I mean is like with all that like intensity he's sort of like one of those guys that like she's the thing that's going to save him you know or at least that's what he thinks yeah yeah and like you know the way those kinds of guys like if anything bad happens in the relationship, like they say that they're like gonna like hurt themselves and stuff. Exactly, exactly. Like it doesn't change the fact that he like really loves her because like he definitely does. Like, and she loves him. Like no one has ever like seen her like at all before. Like definitely not like appreciated her and like celebrated her the way he does. But like there's just something about the way he sees her as like, yeah, the thing that's going to save his happiness. And then, you know, because of that, he's gonna hold on to her at all all costs like that just kind of didn't sit right with me shit man okay they're going to like revoke your feminist card if you keep missing this stuff like usually i'd fight back on that but like it's a genuine concern right now <laughs> that's what i'm saying <laughs> no but like it's it's more like i didn't notice because i was like i think i was more upset at like jane or i was more concerned i guess with like jane having like the drop the same way I do. Oh, yeah, we were talking about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, I think we're going to need a little bit of an explanation on the drop uh, in quotes for uh, listeners who aren't, you know, us. <laughs> so like just search his brother then. Oh, my God. Tiger's listening to this. Why didn't anybody say anything? I would have done my hair. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, the, uh, the drop. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Katie. Yeah, but like, so like, you know, when like you're feeling like, like really, really good. Like all the actual time. Yes. Please continue. Oh, God. No, no. Like, you know, when you're like having a good time or things are just like going right, like, or whatever. And it's sort of like, like time just kind of moves under its own momentum. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not thinking about what you're doing too much, like, or whatever. You're just kind of doing or saying whatever comes to mind because like you're on it. Okay. I feel like an example might be helpful here. Okay. Um, so like, yeah. Say you're out with your mates some night. Yeah. And like, okay, so like your mom like texts you at some stage with a question like or like with a, oh, here, hope you're okay. Or like when you're coming home or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So like you're pretty sure you told her that you were going to stay hanging out with like your mates or whatever. And you're having like a really, really great time. Like you're making jokes. You look good. You're all hanging out and eating pizza and watching movies and stuff. Maybe like you decide to go out for a drink and you get off with someone. You know, it's it's an all around good time. Okay, and and how exactly would one go about, like, arranging one of them nights? So, like, we're on quarantine and, like, you're kind of missing the point? I really don't think I am. Like, clearly you need to get off with someone and I am here to facilitate that. Because I care about you. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, yeah, 
you head home after all of that like yeah and like you you know when you're like on the way home from like a night like that even like if it's the next day or whatever you're like kind of caught up in like reliving all the cool stuff that happened and how like you were yeah you were on it and like then you get in and suddenly like your mom starts into you like about how you didn't ride her back yesterday and how she didn't know where you were and she was like so worried and like she didn't go anywhere all day because like she couldn't because she wanted to make sure you were safe she's clearly been like crying but then she starts making dinner and you just feel like like so bad like if you could take everything back you absolutely would yeah and it's sort of like like you got ahead of yourself and like that kind of caused the bad thing to happen like you started to believe that like you kind of deserved that good time like you could just like let go and not be thinking about what effect you were having on other people and then like because of that you set yourself up to fall from feeling that great and like carefree and stuff to like feeling like that shitty and like ashamed okay and if you had remembered the fact that you like sort of shouldn't be popular and like not needing to think about the effect you're having on other people, then you wouldn't have like set yourself up for that big a fall kind of. Yeah, exactly. Like you would have been like prepared for it and like probably would have even like texted your man back or like even left the thing earlier, not gone in the first place because like you know that you can't afford to have other people like angry at you. Uh, like I don't know that I meant all that like not deserving to be happy stuff I just kind of meant taking your eye off the ball a little bit and like setting yourself up to feel bad kind of well like in fairness like it's a little different for you like you've kind of got that cool band chick thing going on you kind of can be cool and have you know, you know. cool band chick like sh- sh- Katie can barely play the recorder I can you? absolutely play the recorder and the piano Chloe stop telling people that Well, I have yet to hear you play either, so I can only assume that you are lying and can absolutely not play anything except your stupid shooting hookers game. Oh my god, Chloe, there is so much more to it than that. Okay, like we were talking about Jane Eyre, lads. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh Um, my god. Sorry. Um, So like, yeah, with Jane, it's a little more like the world is like making sure that she can't take her eye off the ball or like forget that she was, yeah, born poor and without a family, like we were saying. Yeah, like and and the best she can hope for is kind of, yeah, to be at peace with like how harsh the world is on women in her position and like sort of get to, yeah, zen kind of place with it like we're saying because like anytime she genuinely enjoys herself when she like sort of disappears into that enjoyment like it's taken away from her like and and in a really like horrible way a lot of the time like we're talking about the drop she comes like yeah crashing down off off that every time hmm so like yeah so like say when she's reading in the library and John Reed comes in to find her and torture her like that's that's an example of that yeah and then at the school like Mr Brocklehurst like properly humiliates her when she loses concentration and drops something like small stuff like that but it is really horrible like anytime she she kind of yeah takes her eye off the ball and isn't watching herself something happens to really harshly remind her that you know this is not where you belong yeah and then when she like falls for Mr. Rochester and she kind of gets to enjoy and like almost sort of like expect him to think of her as like this perfect person that he loves in this really passionate way like that all gets torn away from her too and it's like crazy cruel how that happens hmm yeah I suppose I hadn't really made that leap or like notice that pattern I guess see like it's kind of more her like reaction to them things happening that kind of gets me like apart from like when she's quite young she has this like righteous sacrifice and I have to take this on the chin because there's no other way to handle this you know that's that's kind of the way she takes those situations when she's older you know I suppose like yeah if you compared it with like Marianne in like Sense of Sensibility yeah like 
she sort of let the bad thing just take over because she like proper didn't expect it to happen to her like Marianne sort of didn't think twice about the fact that someone would love her that much but like Jane she's kind of a bit more yeah yeah the world is like this horrible place and like I just have to get on with it and like if it nearly kills me of like hypothermia or starvation or whatever then that's just what I'm gonna have to deal with it's like really hard to know which of those I prefer like Jane's strength compared to like Marianne's over romanticism like that's kind of a no-brainer like but Jane's like pessimism I guess compared to like Marianne's hope and optimism kind of like even though it's a little overblown and like fatalistic at times like I don't know I don't know which is better like if you were into ranking people socially or like in how thinking about how socially acceptable people are or whatever. Yeah, which we're not, by the way. Yeah, like, Kleena, man, like, you have to stop with this shit. Like, it's bad for your head. Like, people aren't better than each other. Like, they're like they're just not. No, 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 no. Like, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, Jane's approach to, like, yeah, life and society and stuff, like, compared to Marianne's approach, it kind of, I don't know, it just kind of made sense to me that, like, Jane would insulate herself a bit by not believing she's going to do better than just being at peace and being able to live a quiet life. Like, Marianne's just in a better position. She's from a gentleman's family. She's good looking. She doesn't have to work for a living. Jane has to be a governess or else she can't live. Like, and Marianne, she has these people that can introduce her to other people. Like, Jane doesn't have that. She doesn't have, like, brothers and sisters that can bring her places and introduce her to people. She, like, there was no speed dating back then. There was no Tinder back then. Like, she, Marianne can afford to be hopeful and romantic. Like, Jane kind of can't. Isn't it weird then that, like, Jane is the one that ends up in this super, like, passionate relationship with this tortured soul that proper worships her and Marianne ends up, like, in a way more toned down version of what she thought falling in love would look like in it? Whoa, Jesus. man. Why is it so unfathomable that I would have, like, insights? I'm not a tick. Uh, like. You monologued for, like, three straight minutes earlier about a live-streamed K-pop concert. And Your point being? <laughs> <laughs> man, like, that's, we're already, like, way over. Like, there's, and, like, there is so much we haven't covered. What were we even talking about? Like, I mean, Jane's revenge over John Reed, Charlotte Bronte, like, clowning rich folks continually. Like, St. John Rivers. Like, we haven't actually even talked about the actual living statue. We haven't... I forgave him on the spot didn't get a look at that the best game of charades ever played on the planet earth ever like also I think we found it hard to come up with easter eggs for this one so uh, Chloe had we're just going to finish like uh, Chloe you did have an interesting experience with your Kindle that uh, might be fun to do instead what? oh the weird typo things yeah so uh, I downloaded this version of the book to my Kindle, yeah, and like most of it was perfect, like, but like once I got to the part where Jane meets, yes, St. John Rivers and the girls, um, yeah, there were, there were like certain words that like the ebook people had like, I don't know, I don't know if they like run like an automatic translator like through it or something, like it was super weird. Like at one stage, Jane is talking to Hannah uh, like St. John's like housekeeper person who like didn't like Jane to begin with but then she's all like oh here let's be mates but like yeah Jane is like talking to Hannah and the line in the book is like yeah she positioned her flowery and sexy hand into mine any other and heartier smile illumined her difficult face she did have a difficult face now in fairness uh, and from that moment we had been pals <laughs> Like what? <laughs> I, I personally did think Hannah's hand sounded especially sexy. Like what flowery hands like aren't sexy when you think about it? Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. 
absorbent <laughs> right <laughs> like, oh, and then like when yeah when St. John was like talking very openly with Jane about how much he loves Holy God and like how he doesn't mean to be all severe with her like he's just out there doing the Lord's work like he just tells her you know after talking about yeah catechisms and, and psalms and all for ages he's like just you know know me to be what I am a chilly tough guy again I mean I don't I don't see what the issue is he, there. Was, he was so chilly oh yeah yeah so tough but then but then it completely lost the plot later on when I got to Jane talking about like that other house what Mr. Rochester had yeah so she's talking about that house and uh, he might have permit the residence I think that was supposed to be let the house uh, but could discover no tenant in result of its ineligible and insalubrious website online Charlotte Bronte 1847. <laughs> <laughs> no, let me check the website. <laughs> what search engine could this be, my beloved? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my, we're we're at the end of the show. Like I genuinely don't know how we ate up all that time. I know, and like, we didn't even get a chance to like talk about just how much BTS merch we're going to like have to buy Katie for her birthday. Like, like seriously though, please, like don't (laughs) (laughs) but next week um, our next installment uh, on our unusual heroines we'll be talking about a new book uh, Lucia's War Uh, it might be Lucia I should have actually asked that question Uh, but this is a new novel by author and longtime supporter of the show so we love her uh, Susan Lanigan Mm, she invited us to the launch and everything on Zoom man and you were late I had to make sure my hair was okay, Katie. My public can't see my quarantine unborn. It ruins my mystique, all right? <laughs> God, like, seriously. <laughs> but yes, uh, Lu- Lucia, we're going to go with Lucia. Um, <laughs> the main character, she's a mixed race woman living, working and loving in uh, London during the First World War. Um, so, so take a look. It's available from Amazon and on Kindle. Uh, yeah, we're super excited. Susan's been like too awesome with like supporting yeah, us real. starting off the show and we're like majorly thrilled to be able to return the favour. So yeah, that's it for another week week you guys uh, remember to stay safe wash your hands mm-hmm. social distance and treat your fellow humans with the respect and consideration they deserve okay mm-hmm. thanks a million bye now mm-hmm. that's excited this week on Dedoy Denise well you know we we really don't know how she got into this situation to begin with so callers our topic this week is should the anti-racism movement extend to the travelling community um why wouldn't it though? The traveling and Roma communities are an ethnic group, not to mention an ethnic group systematically mistreated in Irish society, so you know, yeah. But but you know the way that like places where travelers can live, they, like there can be lots of like, like, like litter? Um, okay, sorry. So, like, are you saying that, like, it's okay to dehumanize and mistreat an entire ethnic group because you saw some people once from that group who were, like, like littering? Like, Well, well, I mean, I, I, I didn't actually see it. Oh, um, oh my actual God. Wow, like, seriously. Like, it, wow. I think you need <sighs> to do some, like, serious reading. Yeah, no, you absolutely need to research topics before you set them as a talking point on the show. Like, I mean, you were really going to have this conversation with callers knowing absolutely nothing about it. <laughs> well, I mean, like, aside from what one friend told you. Like, for real, do you know that, like, in Ireland, travellers are profiled by the guards, like, almost in exactly the same way as non-white ethnicities in the US, really? Yeah, and I mean, suicide in the travelling communities, it's significantly higher than that for the general population. There's even surveyed evidence that like a significant percentage of people would deny Irish citizenship to members of the travelling community. I mean, come on, Denise. Public spending to assist with accommodation and services for the travelling community has fallen by 90% in the past 10 years. Seriously, Denise, you need to get your shit together, like right now. 
So, yeah, Dedoy will be taking a short break for a week or two to figure out why we're, well, ra- racist. Um, so maybe, maybe y- you shouldn't tune in this Thursday. Um, 